privilege to um, be back at Edgewood Baptist Church to preach. Uh, I always consider this a great privilege, and uh, I'm just happy to see you today. You know, <clears throat> the Bible is filled with all kinds of very important subjects, and um, every subject that the Bible shares with us is important, but way up at the top of the list is the subject that I would call the blood covenant. And surprisingly, many, many Christians who are biblically informed and many churches that try to compass the entire spectrum of the word don't know much about the blood covenant. And yet among the various subjects, it stands right up there at the top. So I want us to consider the blood covenant this morning. And I want to read a couple of verses from 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 3 and 4. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him, gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword, to his bow, and to his girdle. So, what is the blood covenant anyway? A blood covenant is really an unbreakable relationship of total commitment that one person makes to another. Now, as we look for some modern illustrations of that, I would say that the thing that comes closest to a blood covenant that I'm aware of is the marriage vow. And certainly in the marital vow, as uh, we make those commitments to each other, they should be total commitments of relationships that will not be broken over our lifetime. So the what of the blood covenant. Uh, now, how did they go in the making of the blood covenant? Well, first of all, as you read carefully the Old Testament, you will see that uh, when a person was considering entering into a blood covenant with someone else, they would really watch that person from afar. They would keep track of that person. They, they wanted to make sure that that person was the kind of person they looked up to, that they could trust, uh, a person who was honest and a person who would stand for that which he believed. And once they became convinced, they would go to that individual and uh, they would share with him that they would like to enter into a covenant with him or with her. And then, of course, that person would begin to think about it, take some time to reflect upon it and to pray about it. And if they felt led to do so, they would come together to form the covenant. Now, the first thing they would do is that they would exchange some item of clothing. Now, back in uh, biblical times, most of the men wore a robe, sort of like a bathrobe that uh, we are conscious of. Uh, 
And uh, maybe that was what they would use. But they would take one item of clothing, give it to that person with whom they were going to enter into covenant. And that person would give back one of the items of his clothing. And this was a way of saying, from this point on, my possessions belong to you, your possessions belong to me. In those days, men wore sort of a wide belt, 12 or 14 inches wide. And on that belt, they would attach their weapons. Sometimes they would have a sword, other times a knife. Even on occasions, they might have a hatchet there. And so then, with a person with whom you were entering covenant, you would take one of your weapons and you would hand it to that person and that person would take one of his weapons and hand it to you. And that was a way of saying, from this point on, all my strength, all my power is available to you and yours is available to me. And then they would hold up their wrist and they would take their knife and cut their wrist right here. And as the blood began to drip down, they would wave that hand before heaven. And this was a way of saying, to my very last drop of blood, I will be faithful in the keeping of my covenant. And then they would join at those places on the wrist that had been cut, and they would commingle or intermingle their blood. And this was a way of saying, now, my very personhood, my, 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 my very life is a part of yours, and your life and your personhood is a part of me. At that time, it was the completion of the making of that covenant. But two other things came uh, into uh, uh, view at that particular time. One of the things was that uh, uh, they began to use a name that they would refer uh, to that person by, and that person from that point on became their friend. Now, you say, well, we use that term all, all the time. But it didn't have nearly the meaning, nearly the commitment, or, or nearly the depth that they used in that person with whom they had cut covenant. And from that point on, there was a new attitude with which they would relate to their blood brother. It comes from the Hebrew word hesed, which means loving kindness sometimes translated in our Bibles as the word grace. So that was the making of the covenant with whom you would enter into with your person who was your friend. Now, why was it important to try to make a blood covenant? Well, for one thing, the blood covenant is the story of the Bible. I mean, the Bible has a lot of wonderful truths, but uh, those truths could be summarized in that phrase, the blood covenant. It's the story of the Bible. Now, 
We use today a couple of terms that we refer to in our Bibles. We divide our Bibles into two sections. We call the first section the Old Testament, and then we call the second section the New Testament. Do you know what the word testament means? It means covenant. I told you that a long time ago, Faith. And uh, so uh, uh, that's exactly uh, a lot of the meaning in this matter of the blood covenant. But another reason why the blood covenant is so important is the blood covenant is the secret to blessing. You know, God has made a lot of wonderful promises in his word. He says, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath of the everlasting arms. Do these promises apply to everybody? No, they don't. They apply to those who are in covenant with the Lord. What's more, it's not only the secret to blessing, it's also the strength of the believer. Now, you know, just as we said when they made a covenant, they would share their possessions, they would share their power, they would share <laughs> their very life. Did you know that when you enter into the fellowship of God and covenant with God through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, that the possessions and the power and the very person of God becomes yours. And yours, of course, belongs to him. Now, let's illustrate that a little bit. You remember Israel's first king was King Saul. That's exactly right. And Saul actually... Uh, when he became king, he was a very wise man. He was a very strong man, very tall man, and uh, a good-looking man, capable of leadership. But you remember, uh, as uh, King Saul began to reign, uh, God, through the prophets, the different prophets, would give the kings uh, some instructions about things he wanted them to do. And on one occasion... He had told them to uh, a, a people that they had conquered that they were to take all of those possessions and give them over uh, to the priest uh, to be used by the people of God in God's ways. But Saul didn't obey the Lord. He spared some of the cattle. He spared some of the other things that should have been completely devoted to the Lord. And so God said, all right, your discipline for this, your punishment is that uh, I'm going to put somebody else in your plane. And there's going to be a person who will come to the kingship of Israel who will obey me and honor me, not in the manner that you have done. Now, Saul uh, uh, really resented this. He wanted to be the man in charge. He wanted to be the top guy. And uh, because God had spoken this through the prophet, then uh, Saul began to get depressed. Uh, 
He really got down. And in those days, they didn't just pop a few pills when you were depressed. Uh, they would bring in someone who could either sing or someone who could play on a musical instrument. And, and those things would be used to try to soothe the person and uh, sort of bring them back into reality uh, who had been very depressed. And that's exactly the way old Saul was. He was very, very depressed. Well, the young man that they brought in happened to be a fellow whose name was David. And David was a very eager person to please God. He was a man after God's own heart. And so God was blessing David even as he came in to uh, perform before the king there among the various uh, people who were in the king's palace, they began to see that this was an unusual man. He was a person who had skill. He was likable. He wanted to help. He wanted to be obedient to God. And so they began to talk about him being the next king. This made Saul even more, more ferocious and very angry. And as David, after he had been there a while, was singing or playing before him, Saul took a spear and tried to nail him against the wall. And then later he tried to kill him again. And uh, David was very, very friendly with Saul's son, Jonathan. And so David went to Jonathan. He said, it's obvious that I'm going to have to, have to leave because your, your dad's going to kill me. And uh, Jonathan didn't want him to leave. Jonathan loved him so very much. So they, as I read in the scripture, cut a covenant together. And from that point on, they were blood brothers. They were genuine friends in the strong sense of the term. Well, David uh, began to, to continue to be faithful, and uh, he was, uh, as he became the new king, uh, he was extremely busy and, uh, you know, taking over that kind of... Uh, uh, kind of responsibilities took a long time and a lot of commitment. And uh, Saul went out to fight, I believe, with the Philistines. And along with him was his son, Jonathan. And there in that battle, they both were killed. And a lot of things you can find in the Old Testament to read about that because uh, uh, this, this fellow who was now going to be the king was, had lost his very best friend, his blood bosom brother. And now he said, as he uh, bewailed his passing, your love to me was greater than any kind of love that I had experienced other than his love for God. So David gets busy doing his responsibilities, taking over the kingdom. And you know, in those days, 
most of the kings, when a new king acceded to the throne, the, uh, he would go and kill all the relatives that had been related to the former king. He didn't want anybody being a traitor or giving him any problem. Now, I don't believe that David would have done that. But the people who were related to Saul didn't know that. And so they began to run and to hide. And, uh, uh, and so they just sort of disappeared from the scene. And sometimes later, David had gone into the royal dining room uh, eating his dinner. And he reached out to get a drink out of the golden cup that was before him. And as he started to bring it to his mouth, he saw that scar where he had cut covenant with Jonathan. And his heart was convicted all this time. He had gotten so busy in the new business of being the king that he had forgotten his blood covenant. For when you covenanted and made uh, that blood covenant cut with a brother, if something happened to that person, you were to be responsible to see that his loved ones were taken care of. So immediately he called some of his staff, and he said, Is there anybody that is left of the household of Saul? And uh, he said, I want you to go and to find out. Don't stop at anything until you can bring me word about some of his relatives. Well, <clears throat> some of Jonathan's uh, servants uh, had, uh, had gone to a place that is called Lodibar. Now, Lodibar means the backside of nowhere, nothingness. I remember here at Edgewood on the staff, whenever somebody would sort of get slack in their commitment uh, and membership, we would say they've gone to Lodibar. And uh, Lodibar was the backside of nowhere. It was dry and barren. And uh, the uh, kinfolks there uh, of Jonathan uh, and some of the servants were just barely eking out an existence. It was dry and dusty and barren, and they could hardly raise any kind of food to eat. It was a very tough time. But then, as the, the king's uh, servants began to go out and to inquire, they found that here a number of them were down in Lodibar. And so... Uh, the king immediately orders some of the soldiers on their horses and a chariot to go with them, and they made their way down to Lodibar. Now, you see, every day that they had been hiding in Lodibar, any kind of new noise they heard scared them, thinking, we've been discovered. And when they heard all of these horses come uh, uh, up there and the rumbling of a chariot, they said, oh, we've been discovered. And sure enough, the king's men dismounted from their horses, and they said, who do you have here, to the servants, they said, who do you have here who is related to King Saul? And there was a fellow whose name was Mephibosheth. 
Mephibosheth, uh, long years before that, when the new king had first come to his throne, had been dropped by his nurse, and he was crippled from that very time. They said, he's got to come. King David has called for him. And so he makes the journey up to the king's palace. Quite a contrast from Lodibar, out of the barrenness and out of the dryness. Here were well fertile greenery and trees all around. And as he walked into the immense uh, palace, uh, he saw finery that his eyes had never seen before. And he was taken into the dining room where the king was, and, and he prostrated himself on the floor, and he said, I'm nothing but a dead dog. And the king said, no, no, I don't want to harm you. I want you to be a part of my very life here. I want to restore to you all that belong to you. I want you to eat at the king's table. I want you to enjoy the fellowship of the king and the many outstanding people who visit here. I want you to partake of the sumptuous food, and you will know the protection of all my soldiers. Quite a contrast. So, he had a decision to make. Would you have chosen Lodibar, or would you have chosen the palace? Well, obviously, he chose the palace. And uh, he was restored, restored to the many blessings that came to him because he was related to the king. Now, uh, as King David had been uh, convicted by what he had uh, forgotten, and as he was trying to make this up, uh, he, uh, he did everything in his power to see that Jonathan, Jonathan's loved ones, especially Mephibosheth, would have the very best from that point on. So, uh, the what and the why of the blood covenant. Now, let me conclude by talking about the wherefore of this covenant. I want you to think, first of all, about the covenant riches. You remember in Luke 22, I know all of us have read this. Jesus was meeting, taking that last supper with his followers. And he presented to them the cup. And he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood. Now, folks, I want to tell you. Some 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ entered into a covenant with God the Father, and it was in behalf of you and me and all who would fall after him in the future. His hands were lifted up on the cross, and that blood dripped, not from the hands because the, the nails were pierced here in the wrist. He died and indescribably difficult death in order that you and I might be included among the people of God. 
And there's so much symbolism here. For one thing, I believe that King David stands for the Lord Jesus Christ in this story. And I think that Mephibosheth stands for you or for me. And you know, Mephibosheth had been God's enemy. At least he thought he was, uh, uh, had been the enemy of the king. And you and I, before we came to know Jesus Christ, we were enemies of the king as well. The Bible says you were by nature children of wrath, alienated from God, alienated from his covenant. But in Christ Jesus, the scriptures use a very special term. We are brought near, brought near. Now, Mephibosheth was crippled by another. His nurse dropped him, you recall. You and I were crippled by another. We were crippled by Adam and Eve. And we've been in a fallen world and we've been in fallen bodies ever since that took place. Now, Mephibosheth was in exile. He was out there hiding. And you and I, one day, we were out there in the prison house of our sin. And, uh, and we could do nothing about it in our own strength or in our own power. Mephibosheth actually was under the sentence of death. And Mephibosheth said, I'm nothing but a dead dog. What does the scripture say about us? It says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of our sin was death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Mephibosheth was pursued by David, David's men. You and I didn't come to the Lord Jesus because we were that smart. We came to him because the Holy Spirit pursued us. He drew us to the truth. He enabled us to believe the truth and gave us the strength even to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Mephibosheth obviously had the king's forgiveness. So do we. Mephibosheth uh, entered in to the provisions, the food of the king, and we also have King Jesus' supply. Mephibosheth had the fellowship of the king, and you and I have the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. So let me leave one verse with you this morning. If you don't remember anything else, Sort of keep this verse as a reminder. Psalm chapter 25, verse 14. It says, The secret of the Lord is with them who fear him, and to them he will show his covenant. Covenanted with the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful position to be in. What a privilege is ours. Let's pray. Father, we're so very grateful for the wonderful subjects that we do find in your word. And Lord, we know that one of the very, very important subjects is this which we've thought about this morning, the blood covenant. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood. 
Teach us to plead the blood. Teach us to believe the cleansing power of the blood. And thank you that we become a part of the covenant and you show us its wonderful truths as you unfold as we grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, Father, if, if there's anyone in this room who hasn't entered into that covenant, we pray that this might be their time to do so. And that even right now, in their heart, as your spirit is drawing, will say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. Please come into my life. And with your precious blood, cover all my sin. Lord, move as you would. In Jesus' name, amen.